So here's my point with this. So many pastors are talking about what they don't like about the ministry and they want you to feel sorry for them. I love the ministry. And even if I had hard times, which I've gone through in over 20 years, I still love this. And so this is just a taste of what God has done. Obviously, I can't tell it all. So this is what I'm asking. Every life group leader and every life group, if you haven't done it already, please do a recap with your people so that in those life groups are smaller meetings. Everybody can share their heart and talk about something that God did awesome this year. Let's go right into it. Let's go to the averages in our services, life groups, and discipleship. Brothers, in the back, if you could keep up with me, I really appreciate that. We had 212 averaging on both of our services, 171 disciples, and 288 attendees in life groups. This is awesome. So we're growing more than we ever have before, setting records. One of the things with our Sunday morning services, as you can see, is they're pretty much both full. We had to stop doing our doubles. So we used to have a double uh, attendance because our workers would do both. And we said, man, we can't have you guys fit in here anymore. So we had to have about 40 of them roll out and then make our leaders in each service rise up. So there wasn't one group of leaders. And that multiplied and did awesome. And then with our disciples always going up every year. And then our life groups just doing amazing things. Three youth ones, I believe five adult ones, one Spanish one, which is also adults so are like six, a children's one, an encounter one, and an evangelism one. Let's give it up for what God is doing. And as you can see, more people come to the life groups than anything else. So that's a great place to get people to come to church. Let's go to the next slide. Here's some highlights. I mean, you can't say it all, but we have a Bible college here. And we graduated a minister into the ministry. That's huge. Eight more joined, though. That's amazing. Ordained four deacons, baptized 34 people. 163 came out to Boricua Fest to preach the gospel in Humble Park. And we recorded our first worship album and took a mission trip to the Philippines. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. Keep on going. And here's the money that we brought in this year, $369,501.90, up 65,021% from last year. Amen. Now, let me just share with you some of the amazing things behind this story of this financial year. My wife and I started the church in our home. We were the only givers at that time. And now after these many years later, here is a record and almost like, you know, 22, 23% above. In some ways it was even up to 25, I believe, percent above. I think just in ties, this is combined for everything. And the access is amazing because all the years that we have been doing ministry, we have tried to make sure we stay under our budget, stay under our budget. And this is where I want to be very personal with you. When we first started the church, my elder, my leader sat in the meeting and said, Joe, we need to make sure your wife and you are taken care of and your family, especially in the early years when you cannot receive a salary so that when the church is blessed later on down the road, you can receive back pay or severance for those things that you put into time and work. And we have a detailed, a detailed list of our financial budget from last year that if you go to uh, my wife, for one of the leaders in the church, uh, ushers, we'll send it to you so you can see it. Well, it was 65000 for me and 50000 for my wife. And
And last year was the first year that my wife and I could receive the whole salary. Now, here's what's amazing. Praise God. That was awesome. But I got so nervous because every year before that, I didn't want to receive it all. I was like, I don't want to drown the church with trying to pay for my wife and I. So just imagine, like, if you were in our position, what would you do? Take it all and let the church suffer? Or would you sacrifice? And so we sacrificed every year. And then this last year, it was like, okay, let's take a step of faith. Let's do it. And I was like, are you sure, Jesus? I don't want the church to fall apart. And, you know, I'll give it back if I have to because we can live off a lot less. And then the Lord blew it up in increase. And so this year... This year moving forward, we are making plans that you will hear about as the years go, as the time goes forward on what God is going to do this year. Let's get some of the details on our offerings. We raised almost 10000 for building, 12000 almost 13000 for missions, and then we gave away almost 30000 to the community and to missions around the world. So you can see a lot of what we did for our access, we gave on top of what you guys even marked off as missions. And let's go to the next slide, please. So what do we have in the bank as of right now, as in savings? We have $2,824 in missions, always having a cushion there for something that's coming up. The Philippines trip that we took was paid in full. No spaghetti dinners. Nobody had to raise money. We took what we had, and we gave it to those three people to go. And that's how we want to always build our missions funds. And then throughout the month, we support missions all over the world. And if you want to know more about that, you can contact the same leaders I mentioned before. The building fund offering is cleared out every month. So whenever you give to that, we just put it in towards the things God is doing. And then in our general mission fund, we have about 41,000. Now right there, you might say, Pastor, let's just make it rain, man. We got so much money. Well, here's the thing. As a church, we have to be a good business and store away at least three months of operating expenses. So though we are doing the best we've ever done, we have a few more goals to go with the savings because our monthly budget is 25000 So we want to tuck away 75000 If God forbid something were to happen like an economic crash and people lose their jobs and the landlord here, he changes his mind and wants to charge us so much money, we can't afford it. We want to have a cushion. And let me just encourage all the families here, always have three months of your operating budget in an emergency fund so that, or as a storeaway fund so that you can have that if you ever need it. And so God has done an amazing job. Let's give it up for the extra shekels. You are amazing. Next slide, please. So here's the goals moving forward. Let's go to 200 disciples. We only need 28 more. Let's go to 15 life groups. We only need three more. Let's average 300. Let's pack it out so there's no empty seats and people are standing around the back. 88 more, and then let's raise 35 more for 75K. If you believe it, let's say I can do it. See, I can do it. If you do it with me, we can do it together. Now, before we show the next slide, let me just ask you this. Those who were here all 2019, did you have to give 11% of your budget, 12%? No, you just gave a tithe. You see, when everyone gave a tithe in 19, the, the finances rose. Do you understand how God works like that? Now, some of you, as you were tithing, God was increasing you on your job and your family. But some, you might have had a tough year. I've been in those tough years before. So let me encourage you. Be faithful with the little, and then God will give you much. And so in my years of what I would call famine, when I lived on Potomac and Lawndale, does anybody know where Potomac and Lawndale is? Where's that, boys and girls? That's in the hood. And it wasn't good, okay? 
My car got broken into or stolen twice. They sold drugs in the sidewalk in front of my house. One time we were driving in a car with my friend. They bricked his car. They thought we were in a gang. Another time I was driving with the youth coming to my house. They thought we were in a gang. The police and pulled us over and hemmed us up. And so you know what? I've been to different, different stages of my life. So don't criticize the glory unless you know the story. And so I just want to say as we put up all of these goals, I want to see your goals this year come true. What are your goals in finances? What are your goals in marriage, life, family, kids, young people? What are your goals? Because God's able to do it. And we learned about that last week. So if you missed it, go back and check it out and fill in your goals. Write it down. Pray for them this year. And as the old saying goes, if you don't hit the stars, you might hit the moon. You know, I've been having these first three up here for a while. We're getting closer to the 200 disciples than we've ever been. But I've had it up there for a few years. We've had the 15 life group goal for a while. But we're getting so close, we started two new ones this year, okay? And the the average attendance, finances, you get the point. Let's go to the last slide. We want to have a church of 100 thousand disciples, 50 churches, 500 around the world. This is what we want each church to look like. We want to give the YMCA and the Catholics a run for their money having our own schools, our own community centers, our own parks. If the Catholics could do it and they got this school and park over here and this and this ball field over here and the YMCA could do it, why can't God do it again in Chicago? 100,000 is not too much for God, amen? So if you're going to stick around for a little while, can we give God one more hand clap of praise? Amen. Let's make it happen. Praise God. Let's go. Let's get into the message today. Somebody say the weight. Come on, everybody. Say the weight. And the suddenly. Thank you. I want to talk to you today as we start our new year with God to understand two types of seasons in your life. Everybody's going to have two types of seasons. You're going to have the wait, and then you're going to have the suddenly. I want to show it to you in the scriptures. Let's go to Acts chapter 1. In the book of Acts, we see that Christ has raised from the dead, and he's about ready to ascend to heaven. Here he's speaking to the disciples, giving them his last instructions. Starting in verse 4, he says, On one occasion, it reads rather, On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. You see, sometimes we've got to stay and not leave to receive a promise. I'm talking to somebody right now. Don't leave that marriage. Stay and wait for a promise. Am I talking to anybody? Come on. I'm talking to some children right now. Don't leave your family. Stay until God's promise comes. Some of you are frustrated on your job, and God might be speaking to you right now. Stay. Don't leave until the promise comes. He said, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. To understand the context here, Jesus is now going to the Father. We believe God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so as Jesus came to earth to die for our sins, after he has rose from the dead, he's going to ascend back. But how are we going to have a relationship with God? Through the Holy Spirit. Now, if you notice in this context, there's nothing about salvation. And so, yes, the work of the Holy Spirit first is to save us and to make us born again. Somebody say born again. Thank you. But this is not to be born again. They had already been born again. It records it at the end of the book of John that Jesus said he uh, he breathed the Holy Spirit on them. And afterward, he said, receive. That means they were born again that moment. 
So why did he say before he ascended to heaven, wait for the Holy Spirit? I thought he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He's already done that. If you read chronologically through the Gospels, you'll see he's already did that. What this is talking about is the Holy Spirit doing a second work in the Christian's life for power. Let's turn in our scriptures to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, just so you can continue on. Don't take my word for it. Jesus says, but you will receive what? You will receive what? Power. Thank you when the Holy Spirit comes on you. It doesn't say you're going to get saved when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Of course the Holy Spirit saves us. That's what happens in John when Jesus teaches about being born again. They had already had that experience. What he is now saying is a second experience. Another experience you're going to wait for is for the Holy Spirit to come on you and you're going to receive dunamis. Power in the Greek, dynamite, explosive energy from God, and then you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So let's go back to the notes and understand this. They had to wait for the Holy Spirit to be poured out in power. Now let's go to the next chapter, Acts chapter 2. Somebody say, I'm with you, Pastor. Good. Before we launch off into application, I just want you to see the context. In Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came, which is 50 days after Passover, that's when Jesus died, and then he spent 40 days with them, so it's been about 10 days, they were literally in one place waiting for the Holy Spirit. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Somebody say, suddenly, suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them. Somebody say all of them. Thank you. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, other languages as the Spirit enabled them. So there was a waiting period, and then there was a suddenly period when it came up, or when rather he, the Holy Spirit, came upon him, because the Holy Spirit's not an it. He's not a fourth, like, oh, I feel the fourth of the Holy Spirit. Oh, I'm so spiritual. No, he's not an it, no more than you're an it. You have a spirit, and you're not an it, okay? And when he came, he gave them this amazing power. Let's put it together in context. Jesus said, wait. For the Holy Spirit to give you power. They waited. Suddenly, the power came. Do you see where I'm going with this today? Let's look at some people in the Bible and see how there was a wait and there was a suddenly. Would you guys follow along with me, please? When you look to the scriptures, you see those two uh, seasons continually. A pattern is developing. There are very little evidences in the Bible of overnight successes in the Bible. Almost the entire Bible is built on the concept of wait and suddenly. Abraham waited 10 years for God to suddenly give him a son. And if you include the time before the promise, he had to wait to be around 100. So he had to be 100 years old to become a father for the first time. From the time God met with them, it was 10 years. Joseph waited 22 years for God to suddenly bring his family to him in gratitude. If you know the story, Joseph was promised that his family would be rescued by him and actually bow down and give him honor. He got that as a young man. He had to wait 22 years to go from being thrown into a pit and then being work, uh, working as a slave in Potiphar's house to being then thrown in prison wrongly for Potiphar's wife lying on him to finally be brought to 
to Pharaoh to then have the power of the promise. There's a lot of peas there. From the pit to Potiphar to prison to Pharaoh to see the power of the promise. Waited 22 years, but suddenly it came and happened. Moses, he killed an Egyptian and then God exiled him to the desert. God basically said, Moses, you've done it wrong. I'm going to kill a lot more than this. But you got to take a timeout. God gives timeouts. And he gave Moses a timeout for 40 years. Then suddenly he appeared to him in a burning bush. Imagine being Moses that day. You've gone 38 years, nothing has changed. 39 years, nothing has changed. And then 40 years, God shows up. Are we getting a lesson here? You can give up before your miracle. Don't do that. Oftentimes, God is doing something in the process. There is a purpose for what you and I are going through while we're waiting. And then lastly, Israel, through the prophet Daniel, was given a literal year of when Jesus, the Messiah, would come. Study the 70 weeks of Daniel. Daniel gets it to the year that Jesus would come. But guess how far in the future that was? Over 400 years, the people of Israel had to wait for the sudden uh, incarnation of Jesus to come to the Virgin Mary. I mean, you want to talk about waiting a long time, uh, husbands, for your wives to get done shopping. I mean, Israel had to wait 40 years for Jesus to come back. Or parents, talk about waiting for your kids to get ready in the morning. You're waiting a long time. This is longer than any time we could imagine. 400 years, generations are coming and going, and yet they're still waiting. And we could say like this, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus has left and promised to come back, but there's a suddenly coming, a trumpet from the heaven. He's coming back, amen, and it's going to catch everybody by surprise, but we're going to say, we were waiting for you, Jesus. And so while we're waiting for our suddenlies, let's look back on the suddenlies that have already came. Some of us have waited for our spouse, and now we're married. We need to thank God for that. Others of us waited to have children, and we need to thank God for that. Some of you young people waited to get in high school, and now you're here. And so we need to see that God's been faithful in the past, and we need to be thankful. And then at the same time, we need to now be patient in the new things we're waiting for. So let's talk about the lessons in the waiting. I know it's not the most funnest thing to talk about, but in 2019, a lot of us are going to be waiting for things. And I know that it may not work on our calendar, but if we can get it into our mind that God's never late, he's never early, but he's always what? On time. We can prepare ourselves better for this year. The first thing that we need to know in the waiting is to remember that God is still with us. So as we're waiting for the thing to come or that person to come into our life, who do we still have that's most important that's with us? God. So what's more important to you, what God has in his hand or what he has in his heart? Are you just seeking his hand or are you seeking his face? You see, we need to have it in our lives right now that no matter what goals we've set up, no matter what things we want to accomplish, and they ought to be good things, no matter how awesome those things are, the most important thing is God and he's already with us. So it only gets better from here. Look at what Deuteronomy 31.6 says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, because of your enemies. For the Lord your God goes with you. Somebody say, he goes with me to the DMV. Oh, come on. Somebody say, he goes with me when I call Comcast. 
Come on, somebody say, he goes with me. When I drive in traffic. Oh, he goes with you. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. What a blessing. So what promises are you waiting for this year? Do not let the longing for that promise distract you from the reality that God's already with you. You have that which is most important. You have the God of heaven and earth with you. And if you're not born again, get born again, as we were talking about before. And then you can say, God is with me. The second thing that we have to know in the waiting is that we're not just sitting here tapping our watch, you know, tapping our foot or something. We're moving in the waiting. Look at how the Bible defines waiting similar to how we would define moving. It sounds like, oh, maybe it's two opposite things. No, it's actually the same thing. Because, you know, as I teased about my wife going shopping, what do I do while I'm waiting? I get on the phone. I answer calls. I do different things. I take use of that time. What do I do now when I go to the DMV? I put on podcasts. You see, I'm moving while I'm waiting. I'm making moves, in other words, while I'm not uh, being able to make moves in this way. And so this is what we have to understand. Waiting for God to do this thing doesn't mean you can't be busy doing the thing you already have. Just because you're waiting to own your first home doesn't mean you can't be busy in saving. Just because you're waiting to get married doesn't mean you can't be busy in working on your character as a single person. Are you following me on this? You can be busy in the meantime. And the Bible teaches us like this in Isaiah 40, 30 through 31. Even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fail. Now, I want to tell you, I used to be young. You look at me now and you're like, Pastor, I don't believe it. But yes, children, I didn't always have gray hair. And one day you will too, by the way. That will suddenly come. Um, you look at your life and how fast it's gone. But I can tell you this. When I used to be young and strong and stay up all night and then try to go to work the next day, I actually still got tired. I know some of my kids say, I want to stay up all night. But some of them got tired during New Year's Eve, you know. So even the strongest among us, among us will get tired. Now I just get tired all the time, right? I'm just older and I get tired. But that doesn't mean we can't receive strength because watch the secret here. It says, yes, even young people get tired, but they that wait, and in that Hebrew word wait is a lot packed into it. Those who serve, it also means that. Those who worship, because when it's saying wait, it means like waiter, a waiter. You're waiting on the Lord. You're serving the Lord. But they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They're going to be like a never-ending story, riding on a big creature. They're going to be like in Lord of the Rings, flying an eagle. Wouldn't you like to fly on an eagle? It says, they shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And so while we are waiting, we shouldn't get tired and lazy and lethargic. We should be passionate about the things God has us to do, waiting and worshiping and serving. Can I hear an amen? amen. Stay busy for God. The, last, uh, the second to last thing about waiting is we need to learn to celebrate others' victories. It's real easy while you're waiting for your breakthrough to hate on somebody that does have a breakthrough. Oh, pastor makes 65 and his wife makes 50. I wish I had that. Were you there when we had nothing? Were you there when I was the only one giving in the tithe and offering? Were you there when I was tempted to quit but didn't? I mean, you don't know my story, right? But it's easy now to look at Pastor Joe and go, I want what he's got. And a lot of times, doesn't social media kind of build up that jealousy in us? 
Maybe you're not intending to make other people jealous, or maybe they're not your friends, but so often we see each other's highlight reels, and then we start getting jealous going, oh man, I wish I had that. You know, how come they get that? That's not fair. And we don't understand the journeys and the prices that people have paid. I am blessed. That is true. But I've had to wait a long time to be at this place called here. Listen, everybody. The place I now call here used to be there. I used to stand back and say, one day I'll be over there and the church will pay for our bills. One day I'll be over there and my wife and I will have enough money to save at the end of every month instead of spending it to the penny. One day I'll have kids that will be able to fill in this house and we won't just be alone anymore. And so I used to point to a place over there while I was here, but now I'm here and it once used to be there. You see, the funny thing about God is that he'll bring you there and suddenly, and all of a sudden, I look back and I go, wow, there's a lot of places that I've been over these years. Six kids now, a growing church, all of these wonderful things. And am I saying it's always a stair step of success? No, my journey of success sometimes looks more like a connect the dots than a ladder. A ladder is just boop, 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 boop. No, mine's like go over here and then go over here, Joe. And then you're going to go down here, up here around here a couple times and then you're going to go over here and then you look back and you're like oh that's a duck swimming in a pond how many have ever seen connect the dots take you on a lot of places my life has never been like success 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 you know no 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 it's success failure 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 success failure success failure success failure success 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 failure 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 that's what it feels how many of you have a life like that sometimes and you just keep going And so part of what you need to do is learn to balance your emotions and rejoice with those who are rejoicing and mourn with those who are mourning. Romans 12, 15. So get this. And and it's so true in this church at the size that we're at now. I see it all the time. Literally this last year, some people lost the closest people to them. We had a leader in this church lose his wife over a flu shot. She had the flu And they gave her a flu shot. She went from just being sick to dead. Talk about tragedy. My friend lost his father while he was on vacation with his friends. I mean, we're talking about loss. We're talking about people losing children or miscarriages. And then in the same year, we did weddings, some of the greatest weddings. People gave birth to children. The miracles happened in people's lives. And so you, you can be in a life group and on one side talking to your friend who, who lost somebody and you can be talking to them going, man, I feel so bad for you. I, I can't even understand how bad this must be. Man, I want to pray for you. I want to love you. Is there anything I can do? for you. I'm here for you. And then in the same life group, you could look over and go, man, I'm so happy you just got married. And I hear you guys are pregnant now. Boy, we're excited for you. That must be awesome. And it's not like you're going crazy or you're bipolar. It's you're, you're trying to mourn with those who mourn and then rejoice with those who rejoice. And so when we see people going through things, we ought to give them the space that we would want to, to have that emotion. So if I'm rejoicing this year, don't, don't get upset with me because Joe finally got paid. He's taking us out to dinner. We know he's paying for dinner tonight. No, don't get mad. Just rejoice with me. Man, this pastor who's been in ministry over 20 years, his, he has now ha- had his salary met. Praise God. And then, and then we can talk to the young adult going, I just moved out of my house. Amen. Everybody clapping. I'm still preaching. Sorry. 
and then we could talk to the young adult. I think it was Jazzy. You were testifying. I just moved out for the first time, and I got all these bills and everything. But God's going to make a way for Jazzy, amen? Because I used to live off that ramen noodle diet too, girl. I've been there before. Haven't even bummed some ramen from somebody. I've been there before. You got some ramen, I'm out. And then lastly, trust that everything that you're going through, God is working for your good. We know this scripture, but let's put it into our memory. Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things. Somebody say all things. It's not just the good things, it's in the bad things. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And so now you should be able to look at your life as a highlight reel of the ups and downs working out for your good. Even the most painful decisions of your life or the mistakes or what people have done to you, as terrifying, as horrible as some of those things were, you can now see God is working out for your good. And I'm glad today that we have a church of second and third chances. Some of you have come from divorces, but if you learn how that marriage end ended and now you become a person that is different, you can go on into a new marriage and never have to look back. Some of you are coming out of this year in debt and you learned how not to spend your money. Now you're going to make better decisions on never going into debt. And I've been there before, blowing up credit cards. And then there was a time that said, I'm not doing that anymore. You know, you can look at the, the failures of your life as a place to have a pity patty party and go, oh, nobody understands. Or you can look at your mistakes as lessons. How many look back at your mistakes and go, I learned something. How many have had to pay a high cost for some of the tuition of life's lessons? See, I've paid a high tuition to life's lesson university. I've, I'm serious. I've had to pay a lot to life's lessons university. And hopefully, we're paying a lot less as years go on. We're encouraged by the word of God to stick with it even when we don't understand it. We listen to wisdom. We pray on our decisions. And as we do, we'll make less mistakes. But even those mistakes can work for your good. Can I hear an amen? Amen. amen. Let's go to this suddenly. Because so often, once the blessing comes, the miracle comes, you got that new job, you got married, you have kids now, you bought a new house, you forget where you came from. Even in the world, they call this with men and their wives like your come up chick, like Steve Harvey or Michael Jordan. They had this woman that stuck with them through the struggle, through them coming up. But once they came up, they looked around and said, oh, I can do better than this. I'm going to upgrade, get a newer model, less, less years on the, on the tires. I'm going to get a young, young lady, and then I'm going to have her be my wife. But she wasn't there for the come up, was she? And so often I see this too in church. I'm praying with young adults, you know, because our church has a lot of young adults, praying with them to graduate college, get a good job, find someone in life that loves them and that they can start their family together. And then all of a sudden, as they get that job, they act like they're too busy for God now. Well, hold on. I thought we prayed for this. You see, if you don't put your blessings under Christ, your blessings can become a curse. You can let the tail wag the dog. I'm telling somebody something today. You got to listen to me because I've been there before and I've watched too many people allow their blessings to become a curse. God didn't give you children to follow them around eight days a week in 20 different sports and miss church. Listen to me. God didn't give you that job so that now you can have a beach home, but you don't have your spirit life right or your home right. You know, you can have all of that and still lose your mind, your marriage, and your money because divorces cost a lot too, people. 
And so let's just be honest. We've got to remember where we came from and stay humble. Somebody say, stay humble. Stay humble. Amen. First Peter 5, 5 says, all of you, nudge your neighbor and say, that's you. That's me. That's everybody. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility. Put on humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. So listen, I can do all of this in life and get to the point where I become proud and now God opposes me. Wouldn't that just be a sad story? Here this humble pastor starts with the home Bible study, but then now as it starts to grow, he becomes so prideful, thinks he deserves more than he does, falls from ministry and loses it all. How many times have we heard that sad story? These awesome men and women of God, they start from nothing. They build up something working with the Holy Spirit. God's grace, miracles happen. And then like Satan, they want to take a little piece of the pie. See, pray for me that I will always remain humble. I pray for you that as I watch you grow these years and as you take on new challenges, you'll remain humble. You'll be the same person you were uh, as an employee, uh, as a manager now. And those of you who are going to get your degrees, you'll be the same humble person that you were as a high schooler now that you have your doctorate degree or now that you have more money in the bank or that you're retiring and you're going to go move somewhere. Let us all get the mindset of Christ. Christ was an heaven. He had everything, and yet he humbled himself to serve us. No matter what we get from God, let it not turn towards greed, but towards gratitude and to serving and helping others. Amen? The next one that we need to remember is remain in Christ. You see, it was always God that did it. A lot of times people say, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. I started from nothing too, and I built my own business. Nobody gave me a handout. I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. What do we say to those people? You're a self-made mess. Really, all you've ever done is mess your own life up. Let me help you. Did you give yourself your brain? Did you give yourself even one molecule of your body? Did you give yourself even the universe that you're doing all these cool things in? You didn't give yourself anything. All you and I have done whenever we do something good is use the gifts and talents and resources and blessings that God has given us. So I know that for us in a culture that doesn't want to acknowledge God, it may not be appropriate every day to take a knee like the guy who scales the touchdown and point to heaven, but you need to get that mindset that all my successes come from God. Remain in Christ. Look at what Jesus said in John 15, 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. So bearing fruit is a part of the plan. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will bear even more fruit. You're getting pruned one way or the other. You're either getting pruned, getting cut off, or you're getting pruned so you can bear more fruit. The idea is here, no one stays the same. We're either going forward or backwards at any moment of our life. Now look at what Jesus says in John 3. You are already clean. Talking about how salvation comes from the inside out. So it's not by the works that make you clean. You're not doing more to be more. You be who you be. Now you can do what you do. So you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Now remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you what? Remain in me. Somebody say remain in Jesus. Thank you. And so every day of your life, make time to remain in Jesus. It doesn't matter today. Let's just talk about your jobs or your passions. Let's say like you got that promotion. 
you should pray just as much as you did the day before. Let's say you get a bonus. You should pray this week just like you did before. Let's say all of the dreams you have written down this year happen. You should not disconnect any less from God. Give less time to life groups. Give less time to discipleship because of those blessings. These blessings should only increase your ability to be effective in the body of Christ. They increase our ability, but they don't increase us as people. That's why everybody listen. Everybody listen. When somebody loses a job and they become depressed, were they looking at their identity in Christ or were they looking at their identity in a job? Come on. When somebody goes through trouble with their children or their children do well and graduate and go to college and they have empty nest syndrome, is that because their hope was in Christ or was their hope in their family always being their identity? You see, you cannot put your hope in anything less than Christ and his righteousness. It will all fail you, people. How many know that? You've had money in your hands, and it hasn't changed you, has it? You've had friends, great friends, hasn't changed you. You've fallen in love, many of you, and it hasn't changed you. Everything after Christ is a blessing for our good. Don't get me wrong, but if you ever now try to plug into it, it would be like taking one of these sockets, uh, one of these plugs, rather, out of a socket and trying to plug it into a brick wall. No matter what this brick wall has as a purpose, as good as a purpose this brick wall is to hold up the wall, that is a great purpose. It can never do the purpose of bringing power and electricity. No matter how great a job is, no matter how great your family is, no matter how great your successes are, those things can never power your soul and give you your identity. It comes from Christ. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Let's go to the second to last one, help others in their waiting. You've got to give back now. The Bible says in Galatians 6:2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. So some of you know that I love boating. That's like my hobby. And one of the things that I did as an early father and husband, I did what some of y'all are doing. This is where I paid a high uh, price for the Life Lessons University. I took all of our tax money, and I spent it on a boat. Now, you might not have spent it on a boat, but I'm sure some of you have taken all your tax money and blown it on something, you know, like a TV or, you know, new clothes or whatever. That's, that's the most foolish thing to do. Save your tax money, invest it, do something smart with it. But I did, and I had to learn the hard way, so I went out and got me this boat. I love this boat. Only lasted about a month, and it broke down, and I lost all my money. It's a sad story, isn't it? I lost my boat. But I love boating. And so for the last many, like say 10 years, I've been wanting to get another boat. And every time I've tried to do it, the Lord said, no, now's not the time. Because listen to me, the right thing at the wrong time is still wrong. You see, you may be single in here today, and you may be ready to mingle, and that person may be ready to mingle. But if it's not time for you guys to mingle, you'll mess up what could have been a great relationship. And it may be true that some of you need to move out of relationships or quit that job or do something drastic like that. But if you do it the wrong way, if you do the right thing at the wrong time, the wrong way, it's still the wrong thing. And so God wanted me to have a boat because I think God cares about our hobbies. How many think God cares about your hobbies? You all have them. God cares about them. And God wanted me to do it the right way. So guess what? This is the year. Well, I finally had a salary where I could say, okay, in our budget, we're saving X amount of dollars. We don't need to use tax money. Now I'm paying more than they're giving. Come on, somebody. See, some people want to stay broke just so they can get those shekels. It ain't worth it. Prosper, amen, prosper. Okay, so I said, well, I'll give up that kickback if I can make more here and put in work. Well, we, we figured it out. We can get a boat. 
and we got a boat. And so now the Wyrostic family has a boat. And I want to be honest, this is not to brag, but this is to tell you my heart. The first thing I said to my wife, and I'll cry telling you about this because it's special to me, is I said, get enough life jackets for all of our friends to be on this boat. The maximum capacity is like 18. And I said, get 18 life jackets. I said, I never want anyone in our church to not have the opportunity to have a boat. Most of us didn't grow up with parents that had boats. And most of you don't even know what we do on boats, like wakeboarding and skiing and tube and all that. Some of you had the privilege of doing that, but, but you get my point. And I just began to think to myself, this is what I wish somebody would have did for me. Because I had acquaintances, maybe one friend in the wakeboarding world, and you know what they would say to me, most of my acquaintances? They said, Joe, we'll take you on the boat, but every time you go on the back of the boat, we're going to charge you $10. So every time I wanted to go water skiing or wakeboarding, $10. I wanted to go three times in one day, $30. And we know gas doesn't cost that. They were just making money off of me. And I began to say to myself, when I get a boat, come on, somebody, when I get blessed, I'm going to be a blessing. I'm going to help others with what I have. Now, you may not have a boat, but you might have a car. So take somebody in your car. You, you may not own a restaurant, but you might have some extra lunch. You may not have all the clothes in the world, but you have something you can share. If we look at what God is blessing us with to be a blessing to others, we can change the world and show him that we're not spoiled kids, that we're, we're going to use whatever he gives us to bless others. And so many of you I see doing that in the church. We have a Good Samaritan page. Join that this year if you haven't. And instead of garage sailing it, just give it away. If you can, give it away and you'll have the joy of giving to others. The Bible says carry their burdens. It's a blessing to help somebody else. When you take them out on that boat one day, you're going to see a smile on your, you know, your children's face or these kinds of things. Or you take somebody for a ride and they didn't have to catch an Uber. It's a blessing. It lightens their load. I want to lighten people's loads. And then lastly, as Adam comes, and it's not least. Somebody say it's last, last. but it's not, least. it's not least. This is the best thing you better remember. Always give God the glory. Psalm 91, 1 through 2 says, I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all of my heart. I will tell of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praises to your name, O Most High. We should look at our lives as being God's trophies. God has made us to show off his grace. Not in a braggadocious way, not for us to go, hey, look, I'm a king's kid. I'm so blessed. You know, not to be like that, but we should be a light to this dark world. We should give them encouragement by what God has done in our lives. We should be able to give glory to God and say, God did it. Others didn't make it. I made it, but by the grace of God, to him be the glory. Other marriages didn't survive, but ours did. By God's grace, to him be the glory. Other people lost their minds. I didn't. It wasn't in me, though. I was going crazy. It felt like everything was falling apart. But by God's grace, he did it. To him be the glory. Now, what if you've gone through hard times and they didn't always work out for your good? In the moment, we go back to that other scripture and we give God glory for the for you can fail with God, have the promise of heaven, and have hope after every situation. It can get better. It's like this. Let me say it another way. If you're going to have cancer, you're going to have it either way. Why not go through it with God? That way you have heaven as your promise, as a hope. And when you're going through cancer, you can learn things about your relationship with God. You're going to probably face another hardship 
like the ones we've talked about today, people losing those they love. We have a lot of people we love, right? We can't keep them forever. So what are we supposed to do during those times? We're going to go through it regardless, right? Like everybody, if life goes normally, is going to bury their mom and dad, okay? So you can either go through it with God or without God, and then afterward go to hell. I want to go through it with God, and I get to go to heaven. Do you see how giving God glory doesn't ignore the problems? It just says, I know there's power in his presence, There's power in the presence of God that supersedes our problems. It doesn't feel good in the moment. Paul and Silas were whipped, persecuted, thrown into prison. It didn't feel good. It's it's not mind over matter. Oh, everything's okay. I'm just just a a leaf on the river of life, just floating. Um, No, no, they were in pain. It hurts, dude. It hurts. I'm in pain. I'm acknowledging it. I'm not trying to overlook it. As a matter of fact, denying your pain is a psychological problem. It will come back to haunt you. Don't deny your pain. It never works out good. Faith is not denying your pain. Faith is facing your pain. But having hope beyond the scope of your pain and seeing God in the midst and saying, I'll still talk about your wonderful deeds. Even if I've been persecuted, even if I've been hurt, even if I've lost things this year, I'm going to keep praising you. Amen. Nothing's going to take that away. And as we end today, look at this last uh, thought, and let's put it in our hearts. What are we waiting for, for God to do us suddenly in? we got to get the wait part right, and we also got to get the suddenly part right. Let's just pray. Father, I thank you today. As you're seated, band and altar workers, would you come? I just sense the Lord in this place. I sense so many of you are expecting great things this year. So before we close out in singing and praying, would you look at your life right now? Where are you waiting for the breakthrough? Where are you waiting for the suddenly? How long have you been waiting there? It's okay to be honest with God and talk about and say, Lord, I've been waiting. I've been waiting so long for this. Lord, it hurts. Talk to him about it. But then hear a promise in your heart today. If you haven't learned how to do that yet, it's called reading your word to hear God's voice. Some of you already have a promise for that thing you're waiting for. Just start to speak it over your life right now. Those of you who just only feel the pain of it, ask God this week to give you a promise in that situation as you read your scriptures. Because God is still speaking. A few moments, some of you might be waiting for a breakthrough in your family. Maybe someone you love is not saved. Hold on to that promise. You and your household will be saved. Somebody might be sick today, and it doesn't feel good even to come to church, and you wish you were feeling better, but you don't know how to stop it, or the doctors can't do much about it. Would you today, in the midst of your pain, say, Lord, I'm waiting for your healing, either in this life or the next. By your stripes I am healed. You're my healer, Jesus. Some of you might be waiting for a financial breakthrough. You're going through things where you just feel like, man, I can never make these ends meet. There is too much weak and not enough money. Too many bills, not enough bank. Would you just pray to God right now and say, he shall supply all my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. I believe, God. I believe. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. few moments, few moments. Even if you got to move from your seat, you can do it. 
You can come and get prayer. We'll stand in just a moment, but if you gotta come, come now. We're not gonna make that weird at all. We love when you come hungry to pray. But a few more moments before we stand. Are you waiting for something that you have given up on? Maybe a happy home. Maybe you're already on your second marriage. Maybe you already have two baby mama, two baby daddies, and you're just thinking, man, I don't see how this can ever work out. Boy, you would be surprised what God can do in those situations. Would you just say, Lord, I'm trusting you for me and my house to serve you all the days of my life. If anybody's going to wait on Jesus this year, serve and worship him, would you stand up right now? Raise up your hands and just shout it out, I'm waiting for you, Jesus. If you need prayer, come on even right now as we're standing up. I will be here waiting for you, Jesus. Just like a waiter at a five-star restaurant. I'm going to ask what you need and I'm going to do it, God. I'll be right here waiting, serving you. If today you came to this service and you don't know Jesus like the way we've talked about it, come get born again. Come repent of your sins. Somebody will pray with you to meet Jesus. The rest of us, let's worship. Let's make it a declaration. I'm waiting, Jesus. I'm waiting on you, Jesus. For a suddenly, for a suddenly, God. Suddenly, Jesus. Jesus.